This is Scott Sischerer, Deputy Editor of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. Thank you for joining the highlights of our September 2021 theme issue, which is on eosinophilic gastrointestinal diseases. The theme issue was expertly coordinated by editorial board members, Carla Davis and Hugh Sampson. I wanna draw your attention to some excellent review articles on the theme topic. There's a clinical management review entitled Treatment of Eosinophilic Esophagitis, Diet or Medication. Obviously, this is a very important article for office management of eosinophilic esophagitis. There are clinical commentary reviews, including Clinical Pathologic Correlation in Eosinophilic Gastrointestinal Disorders, also on the role of environment in eosinophilic esophagitis, and on emerging therapies for eosinophilic gastrointestinal diseases. Additionally, there's a Grand Rounds review on the management of eosinophilic esophagitis during oral immunotherapy. Obviously, you can see that all of these are very topical and very applicable for office practice. And these are brought together in a theme editorial by our theme coordinators, Carla Davis and Hugh Sampson, in the editorial entitled The Historical Perspective on the Substantial Progress in Understanding Eosinophilic Gastrointestinal Diseases. This theme issue also has additional articles, reviews, and featured articles on other topics. One on COVID-19 is a clinical commentary review entitled SARS-CoV-2 Infection in the Immunodeficient Host, Necessary and Dispensable Immune Pathways. There's also a rostrum looking at chemical exposure from personal care products and the disproportionate asthma burden among U.S. Black population. And a special article entitled A Toolkit and Framework for Optimal Laboratory Evaluation of Individuals with Suspected Primary Immunodeficiency. Three of our theme review articles carry CME credit, and I want to draw your attention that there's also a difficult case series that carries CME. And in this issue, the article is entitled, A Gut-Wrenching Case of Hyper-Eosinophilia. This brings us to the highlights of the original articles in this issue. These are on a variety of topics in our specialty. The first, first dose mRNA COVID-19 vaccine allergic reactions, limited role for excipient skin testing by Wolfson et al. What's already known about this topic? An expert informed risk stratification protocol was recommended to guide clinical care after mRNA COVID-19 vaccine reactions. However, at the time, no supportive evidence was available. What does this article add to our knowledge? Most individuals after first dose mRNA COVID-19 vaccine reactions, regardless of excipient skin testing result, were able to receive the second mRNA COVID-19 vaccine dose safely. Refreshed tears were irritating and should not be used for skin testing to polysorbate 80. How does the study impact current management guidelines? More data are needed on the value of skin prick testing to PEG in evaluating patients with mRNA COVID vaccine anaphylaxis. And the positive predictive value remains unknown. Most patients may be able to proceed to second vaccination without skin testing. The next article is entitled COVID-19-Related Food Insecurity Among Households with Dietary Restrictions, a National Survey by Guillaume et al. 
what's already known about the topic. Food allergy or celiac disease diagnosis requires dietary elimination of specific foods and creates unique barriers to obtaining adequate nutrition. What does the article add to our knowledge? This is the first study to examine patterns of food insecurity by household dietary restriction status in the context of a global pandemic. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Our findings reinforce the importance of routine household food insecurity screening among patients diagnosed with food allergy or celiac disease. The next article is entitled, Association of Varying Clinical Manifestations and Positive Anti-SARS-CoV-2 IgG Antibodies, a Cross-Sectional Observational Study by Silverberg et al. What's already known about the topic? Severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, infection induces variable anti-SARS-CoV-2 IgG antibody responses. Clinical predictors of anti-SARS-CoV-2 IgG antibody responses are not fully understood. What does this study add to our knowledge? Prolonged fever, anosmia, and receiving supplemental oxygen and more severe disease phenotypes had strongest associations with with positive IgG antibodies to the SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid protein. How does the study impact current management guidelines? These symptom patterns can help predict the likelihood of having positive antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 and potentially guide occupational and clinical recommendations regarding vaccination and social distancing requirements. The next study is entitled Comparison of Non-Esophageal Eosinophilic Gastrointestinal Disorders with Eosinophilic Esophagitis, a Nationwide Survey by Yamamoto et al. What's already known about the topic? Unlike for eosinophilic esophagitis, the prevalence, putative phenotypes, and natural course of non-esophageal eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorders, non-EOE EGIDs, remain poorly understood. What does this article add to our knowledge? Continuous type was 64% in non-EOE EGIDs and 66% in EOE. Restriction of activity, weight loss, surgery, and hypoproteinemia in non-EOE EGIDs were more frequent in pediatric patients than adult patients. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Most non-EOE EGIDs were persistent and severe, especially in children. These findings will promote development of treatment strategies that do not inhibit growth and have fewer long-term side effects. The next article is entitled, Sex Differences in Blood Transcriptional Profiles and Clinical Phenotypes in Pediatric Patients with Eosinophilic Esophagitis by Irwin et al. What is already known about the topic? The clinical presentation of eosinophilic esophagitis, EOE, is different in males and females. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients with EOE have a distinct gene expression profile from controls, and the transcriptome is not the same in males and females. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The study provides a framework to classify EOE patients at diagnosis in order to measure severity and plan targeted therapy. The next article is entitled, Small Airway Dysfunction Links Asthma Severity with Physical Activity and Symptom Control by Abdo et al. What's already known about this topic? Small airway dysfunction is a disease feature in asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? Older age, obesity, and the related systemic inflammation, type two inflammation, and smoking are independent predictors of small airway dysfunction, SAD. Obesity contributes to SAD in itself and through systemic inflammation. Small airways dysfunction affects physical activity, mainly through symptom control. The effect of obesity 
on symptom control and physical activity is partially mediated by SAD. Obesity and physical activity also affect symptom control independently from SAD. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This knowledge advances our understanding of the relation among SAD, asthma control, and physical activity. Symptom control could be achieved by treating SAD by reducing airway inflammation through weight loss and by increasing physical activity. The next study is entitled The Effect of a Theory of Planned Behavior Education Program on Asthma Control and Medication Adherence, a Randomized Controlled Trial by San Lurk and Ayaz Alkaya. What's already known about this topic? The theory of planned behavioral explains all behaviors over which people can exert self-control. The key component to this model is behavioral intent, which is influenced by attitude. What does this article add to our knowledge? The theory of planned behavior-based education program is effective and useful regarding disease control, medication adherence, proper inhaler use, and exposure avoidance for individuals with asthma. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The theory of planned behavior has the potential to help patients with asthma change their behavior and reduce asthma attacks by incorporating proper inhaler use, disease control, and medication adherence. It could be used in education programs. The next article is entitled, Long-Term Follow-Up of Cluster-Based Diisocyanate Asthma Phenotypes by Mason et al. What's already known about the topic? Asthma is a heterogeneous disease consisting of different phenotypes. In a previous study, we found that occupational asthma due to diisocyanates is also heterogeneous at diagnosis and is broken into three clusters. There are no data on the outcome of cluster-based diisocyanate asthma phenotypes. What does this article add to our knowledge? Age at diagnosis is the strongest predictor for diisocyanate occupational asthma remission. Cluster allocation at diagnosis seems to have an impact on the outcome of diisocyanate occupational asthma because patients in cluster two showed the most favorable prognosis. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Age at diagnosis could be used as a prognostic tool in occupational asthma. Therefore, early recognition of the disease by specific inhalation challenge should be encouraged. The next study is entitled Occupational Asthma Caused by Quaternary Ammonium Compounds in Multicenter Cohort Study by McGarris et al. What's already known about the topic? Occupational asthma caused by quaternary ammonium compounds, QACs, has been documented in workers exposed to cleaning and disinfectant products, although the underlying mechanism remains largely unknown. What does this article add to our knowledge? This retrospective study demonstrates that asthmatic reactions induced by QACs are associated with increases in nonspecific bronchial hyperresponsiveness and sputum eosinophilia that are consistent with a respiratory sensitizing mechanism. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The report further indicates that exposure to QACs should be considered a potential cause of sensitizer-induced occupational asthma among workers involved in cleaning and disinfection tasks. The next article is entitled Asthma Remission Disparities Among U.S. Youth by Sexual Identity and Race Ethnicity 2009-17 through 17 by Curry et al. What's already known about the topic? There are reported disparities in asthma remission by sex and race ethnicity. Asthma remission negatively associates with asthma severity, smoking, and increased weight. Minority stress theory and intersectionality are imperative frameworks to study population health. What does this article add to our knowledge? Sexual minority and or racial ethnic minority youth 
tend to be at higher risk for non-remitting asthma. Traditional risk factors and victimization are associated with increased odds of non-remitting asthma among these populations. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Asthma management guidelines should include population-level disparities on the basis of marginalization. Clinicians should stay up to date on cultural responsiveness training and implement the National Standard for Culturally and Linguistically Appropriate Services in practice. The next article is entitled The Systematic Review of the Effect of Physical Activity on Asthma Outcomes by Kuder et al. What's already known about the topic? Low levels of physical activity are associated with poorer asthma outcomes. Engaging in regular physical activity might have a beneficial impact in adults with asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? Physical activity is safe among adults with asthma with varying severity levels. Physical activity favors improvements in lung function, asthma control, quality of life, and serologic inflammatory markers. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Our findings suggest that in addition to the general health benefit of physical activity, regular physical activity may be a potential non-pharmacologic treatment in adults with asthma. The next article is entitled, Increased Risk of Atrial Fibrillation in Patients with a Topic Triad, a Nationwide Population-Based Study by Choi et al. What's already known about this topic? Chronic inflammatory diseases associated with an increase in atrial fibrillation. What does this article add to our knowledge? This article showed that the atopic triad is associated with increased risk for atrial fibrillation. To the author's best knowledge, it's the first study to show that multiple atopic conditions cause a higher incidence of atrial fibrillation. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The atopic triad conditions, including asthma, atopic dermatitis, and or allergic rhinitis, are associated with an increased risk for atrial fibrillation. Increased vigilance for atrial fibrillation in atopic patients is warranted. The next article is entitled, Intolerance to Angiotensin-Converting Enzyme Inhibitors in Asthma and the General Population, a UK population-based cohort study by Morales et al. What's already known about the topic? Many people are intolerant to angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors owing to cough and require switching to an angiotensin-2 receptor blocker. Angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors may affect airway hyperresponsiveness and asthma, possibly mediated by bradykinin or cough reflex sensitivity. What does the article add to our knowledge? People with asthma are generally at increased risk for switching to angiotensin II receptor blockers from angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor therapy, and the risk is greatest in those with more severe asthma. The absolute risk for switching varied by age, sex, and body mass index. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Angiotensin II receptor blockers could be considered first line in older people with asthma or young people with more severe asthma, including those with other high-risk characteristics. The next article is entitled, Reintroduction of Anti-Tuberculosis Drugs in Patients with Anti-Tuberculosis Drug-Related Drug Reactions with Eosinophilia and Systemic Symptoms by O et al. What's already known about this topic? Anti-TB drug-induced drug reactions with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms, otherwise known as DRESS, usually appear as multidrug hypersensitivity reactions resulting in limited anti-TB drug choices, a resuming anti-TB treatment, and increased treatment interruption. What does this article add? Resuming anti-TB medication based on desensitization protocols may be safe, and an effective option for those with anti-TB-related dress compared with changing all the drugs 
and graded challenge method. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Desensitization protocol to resume anti-TB medication in patients with DRESS might contribute to the control of TB by enabling effective and safe anti-TB treatment if it can be appropriately performed and closely monitored. The next article is entitled Development of the Food Allergy Anxiety Scale in an Adult Population, Psychometric Parameters and Conversion Validity by Colo et al. What's already known about the topic? Anxiety is a frequent dysregulated psychological function experienced by individuals with food allergy. What does this article add to our knowledge? Our research provides the first food allergy specific measure to properly assess the impact of anxiety. It's called the food allergy anxiety scale. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The food allergy anxiety scale is a powerful tool which might lead to a better comprehension on how this psychological distress works and consequently the development of better strategies to reduce its impact. The next article is entitled, Heterogeneity and Parent Preference for Peanut Desensitization Therapy by Hung et al. What's already known? Current approaches to managing peanut allergy include avoidance, emergency medications for accidental exposure, and most recently, oral immunotherapy. What does the article add to our knowledge? The study quantifies parent preferences related to novel peanut desensitization therapies and differed by parent age, child age, income, parent perception of child's ability to manage allergic reactions, past reactions, and effect on precautionary behaviors. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Parents' acceptability threshold for treatment effectiveness and tolerability help quantify the perceived value of therapies and should be taken into account when considering treatment options. The final article is entitled Crohn's-like enteritis and X-linked agammaglobulinemia, a case series and systematic review by Khan et al. What's already known about this topic? Inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD, in X-linked agammaglobulinemia, or XLA, presents in a Crohn's disease-like fashion, but with immunologically distinct pathogenesis. This often presents a diagnostic challenge because the clinical presentation overlaps with classic IBD or infectious enterocolitis. Therapy in such, in such situations is tailored, employing borrowed strategies from classic IBD, albeit with variable clinical outcomes. What does this article add to our knowledge? The study describes the clinical characteristics, diagnostic pitfalls, complications, and treatment challenges in patients with XLA-associated IBD. It typically presents with a Crohn's disease-like fistulizing and stricturing disease process, but with lower incidence of granuloma formation, perianal involvement, or other extra-intestinal manifestations. Unlike Crohn's disease, therapeutic response with tumor necrosis factor alpha inhibitors may be less durable. And there's a growing body of evidence advocating for using drugs with alternative therapeutic targets. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The study describes and systematically reviews the current and emerging evidence that can be utilized to optimally diagnose and tailor effective treatment strategies in XLA-associated inflammatory bowel disease. This is Scott Sischerer. Thank you again for listening to the highlights of the September 2021 issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice.